Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Blair Technique Podcast. Got Dr. Jamie Browning with me, who is the Technique Department Chair at Sherman College of Chiropractic. They don't call it straight chiropractic there anymore, do they? They do not. Actually, our original RG name actually is Sherman College of Chiropractic. They added straight in later and took it out. Yeah, really interesting history. If you guys don't know much about Reggie Gold and all those guys and the whole process of like, Sherman and the objective straight chiropractic movement, all that stuff. Check that out. Joe Strauss's green books or blue books have a lot about blue that. Books. That's right. Yeah. Fascinating That's history right, yeah. there. But anyway, uh, Dr. Browning is a technique department chair there. Uh, she's also a part-time practice and an associate uh, professor there at Sherman. So she's got her hands in a lot of different interesting things in upper cervical chiropractic. And what's your technique training background? So my main technique training is knee chest with Kate. ACCS. I am advanced certified. And then now I am working in certification with AO. So advanced orthogonal. I do a blend of both. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So got a bunch of different uh, perspectives to bring to the table, orthogonal and articular, you know, styles of practice. Mm -hmm. She's also a diplomate. So has been through all the training there and has touched every, every, you know, facet of upper cervical care. So really interesting conversation to be had. And I'm excited to have you. So Doc, would you briefly share a little bit about your background? How'd you get into chiropractic? What was your path toward upper cervical care? And so how'd you land where you are now? I have a very interesting path. I'm sure everybody says it, but I'm really weird. So I um, graduated with an undergrad in psychology with an emphasis in counseling. And that's where I thought I was going to go. And so a little bit behind that, I played volleyball all through high school. I went to volleyball. I went to college, sorry, on a volleyball scholarship and uh, was struggling some health issues at that time, which a lot of people, you know, this is their path to chiropractic. That's really not what mine was. In fact, funny enough, um, I was looking for a job a couple of years out, had worked HR at BMW. That was the path I was going to go. Didn't love it. Um, and then I kind of got into a, a funk and couldn't find a job that really suited me. I joined reserves, I, the USNR. So I was part of the Navy reserves for a little bit. And as I was doing that, I applied for a blind ad in a newspaper for a admission counselor position at a university in Spartanburg. And I thought it was what used to be called USC Spartanburg. Now it's called USC Upstate. So I applied, got a call from a woman named Lisa Hildebrand, who, by the way, changed my life. She's now up in Rhode Island doing some big things with children's work. But she was the vice president or she was the director of admissions at that time. And so she told me it was for a chiropractic school. I thought, oh God, what? Um, all right, fine, I'll apply. So I applied um, and uh, they took me because uh, probably they were desperate and I don't, I don't really know, but I think they liked the blank slate. I had no interaction with chiropractic. I had no concept really. My dad had gone to a chiropractor when I was little, but I didn't care or understand to be honest. So I was someone that they could pour into and give them, give, Sherman's version of chiropractic. And so I, I wouldn't have to be com competing with other thoughts and ideas. So they hired me on and part of uh, Sherman's process is you do philosophy courses. That's a big deal here as a faculty member, our onboarding process is you go through philosophy one and philosophy two. 
And my philosophy uh, one course was with Myron Brown. And my philosophy two course was with Bill Deccan, who is the greatest uh, philosophy teacher ever. Oh, I take that back. I had Myron Brown probably when I enrolled in school. So sorry, I had Val Panaccio as one of my originals and she's amazing. So anyways, as that process started happening, I enrolled also in a master's in um, counseling. So I was working on my master's midway through. Uh, this is not a brag point, but I was top of my class, was not getting fulfilled though, did not enjoy it. And um, funny enough, Reggie Gold, that you mentioned him, he came on campus to uh, speak to the uh, the entire uh, class, which back in the day, that used to be a thing. Like, like it was mandatory. You had to show up. The entire school comes to those kind of a, a nostalgic thing now and I listen to him and he of course he makes fantastic points and I remember thinking not satisfied with the role I thought I was supposed to be I thought I was working my way into um, that master's degree which really was going to lead me to a two-year licensing being a, uh, a full-time therapist that's what I wanted to do uh, eventually and that was also how I was going to become an officer role in the Navy so I had all these plans and he threw that for a loop. In fact, um, he shook me up and I had to sit on the things that he had said. And I went home. And if you understand my humor, because I'm a I'm an odd bird at times, I'm really obnoxious and I have really crazy things that I think of. But on the way home, when I had to go thought I had to go tell my husband that I think I want to do another career change, which I'm sure he was excited about. Um, uh, God, give me a sign, give me a sign. So on the way home, my favorite journey song came on, which was faithfully. And I was like, that's it. That's all I needed. Just needed one thing. So I went home and told my husband and I walked into Lisa's office the next day and I gave her an application for admission, which she thought was actually going to be a resignation letter. She was nervous because she saw the changes in me. So anyways, I had to go back to school, get a few sciences, and here I am. So, and I mean, chiropractic's been huge for me. It was huge, even in my faith journey. It, as soon as I started chiropractic school and looking at cadavers and stuff, it elevated my idea of there's some greater than us creating all the things. And so it's been really, really big for me. Um, and then um, upper cervically, I'll kind of jump to that since it's kind of blowing up in the process. And since I mentioned volleyball before, Playing volleyball, uh, especially at a collegiate level too, you've got to be on your toes really quick. And in the back row area, when you're supposed to be passing the ball, you normally have like liberos now who kind of rotate through that process. But if you're a tall female um, or even a tall male, tall male, you need to be really low to the ground and ready to dig and ready to, to pass the ball. I was fairly lazy um, and I would go almost from a halfway standing position to diving. And one of the cool things in volleyball is, you dive on the floor and you roll over your shoulder, you know, and I was the best at that. I could roll over my shoulder a million times because of that. I became really unstable up through here. I mean, like I started having um, severe migraines. I was photophobic, phonophobic. Um, I stayed in at, in college. I stayed in my room for days. Almost it seemed like um, I couldn't, uh, I threw up all the things. It's horrible. And then um, at that time I played volleyball on everything shy of a narcotic or MD at the time gave me meds to shoot up my nose. Um, I was taking really, really heavy doses of, you know, medications. And uh, it was just getting me by. It was really bad. In fact, by the time I graduated, my husband and I got married. Um, I had already developed uh, IBS. I had TMD disorder. Uh, there was tons of stuff. I mean, I sounded like a fantastic person to marry, let me tell you. Um, so I ended up, I took the first year and a half here at Sherman and uh, my first adjustment was actually on this campus by an intern. I mean, my first for everything for Sherman. 
I am Sherman. So the first, it was a regular, you know, chiropractic adjustment. It was upper cervical adjustment. It was uh, supine diversified. It really did. It, it started to, you know, slow the progression of things. It helped some. Um, but then it got almost worse. In fact, um, all of the things that I had were intensifying. I mean, my migraines that I had were just excruciating. So um, I heard about a guy named Dr. Stephen Conicello. God bless him. He just passed away. He was my first mentor. And uh, he was probably about, he's down the road a couple hours and easily. And we went down there and we listened to what he had to say, which he had been tutoring students for years. He's that kind of person. I mean, if you look at probably about three or four or five years of time from when I was there, the impact Dr. Conatello made with all of those students, tons of them left here knowing more about upper cervical work and even being upper cervical chiropractors. And he changed my life. My first knee chest adjustment was amazing. Um, I can't explain it, how much it changed me. Uh, immediately my TMD was gone. I had no jaw issues anymore. Within two weeks, my IBS was gone and about a year-ish, my migraines were gone. So at that point, I was like, how could I not do upper cervical work? How could I not go down this path when it completely took me from a shell of a human being, a prisoner in my own body to being a full expressing human, right? So that's my path. Um, and I ended up working in his office. Uh, he had just left. He went to Rome to do the research um, with Dr. Drury and upper cervical health centers. And so um, I was there for about a, a year-ish, and then I ended up um, going into this position here, not necessarily faculty. I ended up applying to a position at Sherman um, because things were kind of a little rocky after the first year, and I didn't really have a plan. So um, I, I found the Roar position, which is a reach out and recruit effort that the admission um, office had put together, and it was to kind of pull in chiropractors, uh, young alumni to kind of get involved in recruiting students. From there, I really got the faculty or got the teaching itch. I enjoyed it. Um, KCCS is great about that. Uh, Dr. Kessinger and Dr. Anderson and all the they really lift up their students to be the next leaders and teachers. And so they did a great job with that. And so I um, wanted to teach. And so I got to that process. And so now uh, I've been connected to chiropractic education for 12 years. Overall, from the beginning, from when I was an administrative counselor, it's about 20. So I've had some kind of connection. I have a really good feel for chiropractic education, uh, where it was, where it is now, where it should go and head and so forth. Um, do I think that I'll always stay here? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what my future holds. I have a few things uh, planned, but I have some really big ideas about the education process in that as well. So hopefully that kind of overviewed enough of the information to get us to the next level of conversation. Yeah, it's so interesting. Everyone that we talk to, you know, that gets into these sort of fascinating career trajectories in chiropractic, it, it's never on purpose, for lack of a better word, right? It's no, always, right? there are these, these strange funny? little inflection points that happen where your path is heading in a certain direction. Something comes out of left field and just upsets your, yeah. your angle. And then down the road, things go in such interesting directions. And it's what I find so interesting about upper cervical chiropractors. They're, they're people of purpose and passion. And, and you don't Absolutely. just end up accidentally doing this stuff a lot of the time. And uh, no, we all come fact, to I actually, I, I encourage students to lean on their plan B because I'm like, I'm a, I live in plan B mode. It's so, and people will probably in some kind of coaching world will tell you that's terrible because you should be a plan A, but I'll be honest with you. Where I'm at now, and I, when I tell you where I'm at now, was not my original plan, even mm -hmm. like the level of research that I'm at now. And it's only be probably a C or even a D. And I love it better than my plan they ever thought it'd be. So, 
Yeah. And I know, you know, speaking of chiropractic philosophy, there's something to that. You know, we talk about educated and innate mind and and the way we get in our own way, you know, some some of the times yeah, with the things sure. we th- we think we should want or the things that we think we should do. Uh, so, and, and hey, a couple of shout outs along the way. Uh, Dr. Kessinger, Upper Cervical Chiropractor of the Year, uh, really well deserved. He deserved every bit of that. He has put so much effort, especially into the council work and edging us on even more to understand even bigger. And he's a man dedicated to, I mean, he's been through the trenches. So uh, we, we love and adore Dr. K. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people that they have a heart of service for the profession and they just, they just give, you know, and they just contribute. And yeah. I really respect that because especially over that amount of time, um, you know, really what the, there's a lot of hard work that goes unrecognized for folks like that. Okay. So every pat on the back, you know, you can get, uh, or we can give, I think is, is worth it. Um, and then, and for Reggie gold, I know, it, I, you know, it, it seems like everyone should know of Reggie Gold, but it's it's worth mentioning. <laughs> right. You know, a lot of students listening and they may be on campuses where they don't have a philosophical presence or a club or delts right. or something like that. Um, Reggie right. Gold was, you know, one of those one of those people in chiropractic that just had such a gift for communicating philosophy. Right. So go go on YouTube, type in Reggie Gold chiropractic lay lecture and he would give lay lectures all around the, all around the country to just oh, audiences yeah. of not chiropractors, sure. just community nope. members. And he would, he would basically preach, you know, for lack of a better word, chiropractic yeah, yeah. in a way that was undeniable, you know, and, and met him on a level that was, you know, not complicated, made it very simple, made it about life. And so I think go, go check some of that stuff out. It'll get your juices flowing for sure. And if you want to see somebody as a bulldog too, he would take on anybody who had uh, an argument against chiropractic and he did it. Yes. He was passionate when he argued, but he did it in such a logical way that brought them back to, they had to say yes to it in that conversation, or at least stop saying what they were saying. So he was awesome. Yeah. yeah. You want to come to Sherman and take a tour? We actually have a Reggie gold wall. Uh, we are huge gold fans here. Um, he helped actually start Sherman college with Tom yep. Gilardi. He was a big supporter. So um, yeah, we, we adored Dr. Gold. We miss him. Yeah, I'll take you up on that. I need to get down there to, to Sherman <laughs> at some point. But anyway, it's, it's sure interesting do. because all these folks, they kind of, you know, we always, everybody likes to say things like standing on the shoulders of the giants, but but really there are some very, there's some very powerful people you know, that at a time when it wasn't as easy as it is for us now, um, had that bulldog kind of determination, like you said, and it's just, it's interesting. I've, we've talked with other guests and I've mentioned it's it's so much easier to get into upper cervical now than it used to be, you know? Oh, it, yeah. Oh, just yeah, the, sure. the us interfacing and connecting now. I mean, there's so many resources available to students. So I always many. tell folks, if if you're even interested, you've got a lot of opportunities to explore, you know, to see if it's for you. But for sure. sp- speaking of, we were kind of talking a little bit offline about this. And I think it's something I'm I'm passionate about and interested in too. But there's there's this big disconnect between what goes on on campus and what docs in the field think goes on on campus. And there's a disconnect between (laughs) docs off campus and students on campus and the needs and how to meet the needs. You kind of have this interesting, you're, you occupy this interesting space where you can be sort of the liaison between the two, because you're involved in the profession outside of academics and you're on campus. Um, Describe sort of with your work on campus, how you're interfacing with students. And then we'll kind of talk about some of the challenges with being a student and learning upper cervical work and preparing for a career in the field. Yeah. So um, on campus, 
Because pretty much you start, if you're interested in upper cervical work, if you, if you come into a program like this and you're interested in upper cervical work, you'll start to get some upper cervical right now, how our curriculum is. Now we're doing a big curriculum revamp and it should be done in about a year, which is a huge undertaking. We haven't done one in about 20 years mm. and it'll be even better. But right now you kind of get introduced into the upper cervical world around your beginning of your second year. First year is mainly basic sciences. At that point, we get you excited. We're actually, the council did a huge undertaking and looked at all of the um, schools around the country and to see how much upper cervical is being taught and Sherman has the highest load. So we have upper cervical rationale class that you'll have with me. And that is literally the why behind why we do what we do. So we break down all the nuances of upper cervical. We talk about all the upper cervical theories and, you know, we kind of capstone it with some that, you know, Dr. Rosa has discovered with MRI. We kind of put all those pieces together. Um, you have upper cervical technique here. We are very nostalgic and we love our knee chest inside posture toggle. And so that's our basics and that are in our core curriculum. Um, and then you have pattern analysis where we'll do thermography. We do leg length and equality. We add all those pieces together with our palpatory findings and x-ray. And then in our x-ray, we have specific upper cervical um, analysis of our x-ray system along with the other, the other analysis systems. And then we have electives. We have a lot of electives. The one elective that we are trying to work on for upper cervical specific is NUCA. Valera is just approved and it's actually going to be kicking off in the winter. So we're very excited to have as many upper cervical techniques as we can come in as electives to give our uh, students an even broader picture of what's going on and, and the options out there. And in my world, typically um, students at fourth and fifth quarter, that's the majority of where my teaching is. However, as they go into clinic, I have a lot that I mentor. Um, so does Dr. Theodosis the same way. Mm. And we take students who are very excited about this material and they come under our wing. We work with their, talk through their patient base that they have, work with their case doctors. Um, sometimes we co-manage even. And then we bring them into our practices and we kind of teach them some processes. Now, um, the teaching our processes doesn't come as as uh, uh, into the new process. So they might, if, as they're going into clinic, they kind of have to be in there for a while to kind of get the luxury of coming in with us into our patient process and kind of learning even more complex stuff. That's what diplomate process does, right? So that's what the upper cervical council, the whole point of it is to think more critically and to think of complex case-based work. It doesn't change. I'm not changing my technique. I'm not changing that. I'm not saying I'm not going to adjust them. I'm going to do other things instead. I'm going to take my adjustment and cater it to this very specific person. That's very complex issues. And then I'm going to look at the outcome measures and how to measure those things appropriate and proper way. For example, a big uh, patient base with me right now is dysautonomia patients. Now it's probably that thing where you put it out there and they come to you because dysautonomia passion. Um, it is my issue that I have as well. And I'm sure some of my students are rolling their eyes to talk about it all the time, but um, it is a, a thing that I don't think chiropractors understand fully. We talk right. about it, we give some kind of service to it and it's okay, but it's an area where I'm trying to build more research and put more effort into. And so with those kind of patients, they, they have, they're given practical outcome expectations of care. And then I have things that I look at that are very standardized processes to see if our care is doing what we think it's doing. That's mm. what my case is right now. So anyways, our, the students, as they go through the process, they are interested in those kind of things. Again, we would take them under our wing and we help them with that. And again, it's because we want to do it. It's not that we're given any kind of financial incentive here for that, but we do that because we're excited about the work. We really want them to be part of it. 
um, which I think would be great for me to kind of lean into, because I think we talked about this. And so unless you want to introduce the question, but I can kind of lean into it of how other chiropractors can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a field and a whole, this is something Dr. Theodosis and I share. So I can, I'm probably speaking a little bit for her too. Like I said, I've been connected to chi- the chiropractic, or I've been playing in the chiropractic education world for 12 years, about 20. And I feel like I know chiropractic students, especially our new evolution of student. And the reason why I say that is because it's not who I was as a student. It's a different kind of evolution of student. And our field tends to, at times, chiropractic as a whole, but really upper cervical tends to lag behind that evolution. We tend to think, okay, well, this is how I learned it and did it. So I think everybody should learn it and do it this way. But in reality, that's not how the current students feel. And um, so yeah. the big thing that I would encourage chiropractors to do on campus, but especially ours, because I know our students the best, is to be on campus. Now we do have virtual, you know, ways that we can actually virtually log in and know and do these kind of conversations. And they're great too. They're great as support, but I really think they need to come see you and talk to you and get to know you. Um, I know seminars are great for that, but that's just one little touch point. The, the, the techniques on our campus or the electives on our campus that get the most support are the ones from the people who are on our campus constantly. And it does, the, it's just really a competition of attention at this point for these students. They, they don't, again, come from like, I remember, I remember when I was here that, that Dr. Colt showed up at 90 years old to speak. I could not wait for that moment. I thought, oh my God, one of the greatest of the greats is showing up to speak. I don't necessarily think our students think of things like that, that way anymore. It doesn't mean they don't have respect. They just don't hold those levels like we did. Um, and so I think that when we all look at competition of um, attention, and especially with social media and everything they have coming at them, everything almost becomes the same. So whoever is shining the greatest and giving the most affection and attention gets the most attention from the students. I hate to be that way. But that's really who they are. And it's not a bad thing, because I'll be honest with you. I think they have a very high IQ for uh, for filtering people's intent. They yeah. come listen to a speaker speak and they will say, yeah, I think they're selling us. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't really feel like he meant what he said or those kind of things. Or they'll say, wow, that was awesome. I really connected to that. I want to know more. They really are very good at intent. And I think that's something that's a higher IQ than my generation was. They can figure that stuff out very quickly. There's very good positive things, but the one thing is, is that we just need to evolve as a field to match that. So my first thing is to get on campus and connect with the students and I just connect with them for your techniques sake. like connect with them really, to be honest with you, to support them overall. If they don't pick your techniques, so what? Pick yeah. another technique, support them through the process because they're going to learn from you. They're going to learn right. something from you. And the old traditional way, and by the way, John, stop me anytime. I'm just going to keep traveling no. at some point. Go, go, go. Um, <laughs> at the old traditional way, and I understand why this was the way it was, but the old traditional way of chiropractic, especially upper cervical stuff, is that we were siloed, right? Mm. We had this technique and it was this great taught it and this technique and this great taught it and this great, you know, blah, blah. Understand because it, we were forming, right? We were creating who we were. And part of that process was in order to create it, we had to kind of put a wall around it to kind of keep, like defend it, right? So nobody would take it and still, I get all of those things. And especially that our founders who worked so hard and, and the greats and stuff too, like even Dr. Sweat, who just passed away, all the hard work that he put in to get to where, I mean, my God, that man advanced things so crazily, he advanced things. 
So anyway, so I understand that the problem is that this generation of student doesn't like silos. In fact, it feels dramatic to them and it feels like when they go and listen to someone speak and say, this is the best technique and the only technique you should do, they are very good at looking around the room and saying, well, that technique works. I've seen people get better. That technique works. I see them get better. That is not true. So then what they'll do is if that's not true, then they can't trust the other things you're saying. Yeah. So the silos, are, again, it's the point of the council as well. This is the whole point of the council. We do good and bad at this sometimes, but we, we are trying. That's our, our best attempt is to bring everyone together under that beautiful umbrella of upper cervical focus care and we can do and help the world in general, right? So I think breaking down some of those silos, one of the things is if you come onto campus to speak to students, I would highly encourage you, and maybe this is the fact we get from students as well, just talk about what's great about your technique and give us great cases. Don't talk about how the other techniques are bad so yeah. your technique looks good. That never works with our students. In fact, to be honest, they bristle, they don't like it, and they don't like the tension. This generation does not like the tension. And so You'll have a few that may follow you, but that's not going to grow in with your technique. You want to get right now our general chiropractic schools, right? We're, we're doing well, but we could we could totally have a higher volume and get even more people. Upper cervical is just a small microcosm of that right now. And we want to grow the upper cervical field. So if you're siloing, you're fighting for the few of the few, right? For student bases. When in reality, we start to unify on common messages, like the things the council is trying to do, we grow more upper cervical students. And then you have way more people to join your technique and do the things that you that you love doing, right? The thing that's, that inspired you and changed you. Um, and then after, so after you get on campus and speak a few times and get connected, I would encourage you to get a club going. Now, a club has to be doctor supported. Our students, um, they'll, you'll, you know, you'll have a representative that's on campus who will run the club, a student will, but a doctor has to be in contact and supporting it. We have a few uh, techniques and electives who are trying to do those things. Um, and it can be hit or miss though, because they're not, they don't have enough time to support. That's the thing. Someone somewhere has got to find enough time to support because we cannot do it. And to be honest with you, they don't want us. They see us every single day and, and they get information from us. They want to see you guys. So it has to be Dr. Dream. And then once that club gets going, then you create an elective, right? And so some of the people already have electives, don't have clubs. But if you had a club, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we have a torque release club on campus, torque release elective every quarter slammed with waiting lists slammed because those students are doing the work for you. They get people fired up and excited about that technique. And that's the kind of stuff that you see. It's the same thing that could happen for any technique. As long as you put the time and effort in the front of building it, build that club up, get them excited, give them what they need, and they will continuously put people in those electives. And then that just builds and builds and builds. And then those students go to the seminars and they build them and they graduate and they become your colleagues. That's <clears throat> how we see working the best at this point. And I've said this to plenty of people and, and thank God for Ben Glass, by the way, do you know who Ben Glass is? No, I don't. So he's, so he's, he's phenomenal. So he's, he's running these things, Cairo, um, and it's, it's, he's trying to create, create um, curriculum for students who are in high school, if they're interested in chiropractic, undergrad, and then in, actually in chiropractic school. And so he has all of these great people he's interviewed throughout the country, interviewed me as well. 
And he's trying to build resources and, and almost like a pre-curriculum to get you excited, like the science group, like things that you need to be invested in looking into if you're interested in chiropractic. And he's done a great job. And that's the kind of thing it's unifying, right? He's like, this is missing an overall chiropractic. Well, I think it's missing an upper cervical too. We need to unify more. Again, the council is trying its best to do that, but we need more people, more hands-on to kind of unify our message and say, what? My God. <clears throat> Blair works, right? And, and Atlas Organa works and Nietzsche's works. Like all of these things work. Like I, I don't have to fight and say, well, I think I'm better because I do this and they do that. I need to say, absolutely. We're all trying to be more specific, more unified. And we're trying to help complex patients. Which, by the way, the thing I tell my students uh, 30 years ago, that complex patient is now your new daily patient. That's right. Complex patients nowadays are complex, complex, right? They're, they're yeah. intense. Big time. So if, yeah, right. So if our daily patient is already complex, then we need to make sure that we have all those nuances of specificity and understanding and outcome measures and those things. And also when to say no, sometimes it's just a no. Sometimes it's just not going to be the best bet. And there's other options out there. Right. And I need to know those things as well. So that's my rant. about. No, that that's process. that's all. Any questions? That's all great. No, that's great. I think I kind of I graduated in 2016 and we were kind uh, of in a little bit of a like mixed between the two, right? Like we got, we got taught by people who said things like do what the master did and you'll get the results that the master got. Thank and you. I'm like, okay, Thank maybe, you. you know, and that's great. And, you know, and, and maybe I will, maybe I will just put my head down for 25 years and assume that the more time I do something, the better I'll get. But then I read about Dr. Blair and two years into practice, he's experimenting right? He's changing what BJ taught him, right? His forward thinking mind that led to the technique that we have was because he didn't do that, right? So I think as a, a lot of the students feel that same way, which is, you know, I'm interested in, I'm interested in getting results, right? Like upper cervical care is not about the doctor. It's about the patient. Thank and, you. and that's, every technique has its, its, its strengths and its weaknesses, right? It's got its blind spots Absolutely. and its assumptions. It's got ways that the gaps can be filled in by other things. And, uh, you know, I know that there are, there are people that will say, well, you haven't been practicing long enough to be able to answer those questions, or you don't even know what questions to are ask yet. That? Because... You're not allowed to ask the question. You're not allowed to ask questions because you're too young. That's it. Don't you love that? I love that. Yeah. Well, my, my thing, my response to that is, well, that's, that's a limitation you've placed on yourself that there's some Absolutely. element of time that needs to pass for you to become a master. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I've, I've jokingly said this with patients, uh, I don't do it anymore, but the first couple of years, you know, when people ask, how old are you? How long have you been <laughs> doing this? And I would say, well, I've known, a, I know a lot of chiropractors <laughs> that have been doing the wrong thing for a long time. You know, is that who Absolutely. you want to care for you? And it's true, Absolutely. right? There's, there's truth in that. Yes. And I think that, um, I appreciate that perspective because another thing that, you know, I've, I found this, like, this is one of the big disconnects I've noticed too. Why this isn't being taught on campus. Why isn't this being taught on campus? We need to get somebody on campus there. And it's, it's exactly what you said. There's a process for that. You don't just go plop a, a course down in a curriculum yeah. and assume well, that and everybody's here's the reality. Out. So yeah. So for anybody who's interested and, and the Blair people can tell you now, cause it, it's been a, it's, been a hard road for them as well. But Blair actually was taught on campus years ago. So we actually did have a formula in place. So they weren't completely fresh and new. But if you are interested in creating a, or you have a technique that you think that our school may take advantage of, you know, for being an adjunct professor and having an elective, which not everybody gets approved, but 
that process has to go through gazillions of committees. You have to create mm-hmm. a proposal, a syllabus, a syllabus, a rationale, an hour timeline, those kind of things too. And after it goes through all that and it finally gets approved by the president, then we can start working it into the curriculum. I mean, there's yeah. all kinds. And then you have competition with other electives, not from a regular competition, but just hour load. If you want to, like, if they want a certain classroom and you're wanting the same classroom, or if you want an x-ray and they want x-ray and they're already booked, now you've got to find someone who can fit into the schedule, the, re- the remaining part of the, the quarter and not competing with boards, finals, midterm. Like there's so much involved in that process that people yeah. really don't understand. And then the whole thing of, well, there needs to be somebody, okay, well, this is again, what we've struggled with and they know this and, and they are trying their best to get to try to get the process going. It's just hard because there's no, really, Nuke is not a local technique here. Yeah. You know, we're south Southeast, we're looking at, you know, Nietzsche, we have Blair, HIO Toggle, um, and we have a, uh, Atlas Orthogonal is in Georgia. I mean, like, I'm literally thinking about what's local to us. Yeah. So it's hard to get someone down here to teach. So they're going through the same kind of process. So anyways, yes, that's exactly what it is. It is a hard process. We heard help. In fact, I'll tell you how we do this. Um, and Theo and I just kind of do this and thank God Sherman just lets us do this, but we will invite you into our classrooms and we'll give you, we'll try to book you throughout the day in multiple classrooms where you get multiple exposures to students. Now we ask you kind of talk on subjects that are kind of verbal to the class and you can, it's all part of the practice experience, but, and then we'll give you, you know, like our break hour is 11 o'clock that gives you open session to talk whatever you want in a certain classroom that you could stay later and have like a jam session with students. We will set all that up for you. Um, the thing is, you have to give us tons of advance notice, like mm-hmm. maybe a quarter ahead, um, so we can plan that. But we don't mind it. In fact, uh, I think Dr. Uh, Julie Mayer Hunt's going to come the first week of next quarter, and we do. We try to we try to plan things out as far as, and that helps your brand, right? That helps your technique process, and and that helps if you're trying to build an elective or if you have an elective coming up and you want to get more butts and seats because really those are voluntary. Students have to volunteer to be in those those classes. They're not required. So you want to get them excited about your elective. Those are the kind of things that you do. We've been doing it with Atlas Orthogonal as well. Um, we've done it with uh, Epic. We know we've done it with multiple whoever's interested. We will work our best to do it as long as you give us enough advance notice. And then there's people like Dr. Terry McCoskey, who comes down who, and, um, and uh, he had a colleague with him last time who just come down and want to give. So they're not they and they did a little NUCA session um, after uh, school was out, but they came in and set classes and talked about practice life. And they were just trying to you know encourage students and connect with them because they really care. Like those are things that students remember and they love. And Dr. McCoskey's coming out at least twice, I think, um, in the last six months. And so he's planning on continuously doing that. And so that's how you build the NUCA kind of stuff too, without actually giving in to having an elective here because you don't have anybody to present for NUCA. Anyways, those are some thoughts out there. If you're kind of ruminating how you do these things. Yeah. And, you know, we forget in as docs <laughs> in the field, we forget the pace of, of academic life. Right. It's like it's if, if two months pass by and you didn't carry on the conversation, it's like for us, that's no time. But in, in life, that's, you know, boards, oh, there's huge. board prep, there's electives, yeah. there's exams. You've had yeah. quizzes. You went you've been to three other seminars over weekends like there's there's a lot going on and, and vying for attention. And chiropractic students are and, and also um, and just wonder they, their daily schedule. I mean, we have students who start at 8 a.m. and they finish at six something at night. They're slammed every day surviving. So you've got to get in the front of their face and get their attention through survival even, too. So that's the other side of it. It's not just everybody competing against you. It's they they are literally surviving and they want to hear what you have to say, because that makes all that crap they're going through worth it. But right. that's the other side of it is their time frame. So 
Sorry, and I do remember, and, and I do remember being a student and going to, you know, after school events that docs put on or going to other weekend seminars and things. And the thing that was always so frustrating to me was like when they spent the whole time talking about why I'm right and everybody else is wrong. It's like, really, I don't have time for that. This is not like in, in the way that I'm spending my time trying to get exposed to your perspective, this was a complete waste. And like you said, and it, and it it just turned so many students and it turns you off to their, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it does exactly what you said, which is make you think, okay, well, what else, you know, what else is going to come, you know, if I spend more time with this person and there's the negative Absolutely. chiropractic students that are drawn to that negativity and kind of like cling on to that. And it reinforces those folks and, and tries to make, it makes them think that that's what people want, but it's, it's really not. And then the other thing I used to hear all the time, getting involved with technique association and things like that was like, oh, they learn, they learn how to be a chiropractor. They want to learn business. They need to learn how to run a practice. And it's like, what? You know, no, that's <laughs> not true. I wanted to be, I wanted to get good results, right? Like, cause I was still of the school of thought that if I help people, my business will grow, <laughs> right? Silly thing right. that was, but now it was like, oh no, you already know how to be a chiropractor. I'm going to show you how to do a screening. It's like, spare me, you know? Exactly, exactly. There's totally. coaches for that. There's consultants to hire for that. If you're a technique person, I want to learn technique from you. Uh, and yeah. it was just, again, one of those things that's just, you know, over time, what gets interesting to docs is what they think is interesting to students. And, exactly you know, right. and I, I think, again, you have to always put yourself in their shoes versus how would I want to learn this? Because the way Jamie Browning wants to learn something is very different than my quarter four students right now. And so as a teacher in the chiropractic education, we have had to tap dance more than we've ever tap dance to try to keep attention and try to keep them focused on stuff. And it's not necessarily bad. In fact, it makes you a better teacher doing it, but it's exhausting. And I, it will push you outside your comfort zone. So if you are thinking of how to connect to students, you're going to have to think here and here's how you do it. Go. I mean, I, I, it's so stupid. Go to TikTok, go to Instagram, go look at the ways that they, they get excited about stuff. And there are people on there teaching things. Mm-hmm. Watch how they teach stuff. I mean, that's kind of, ha- that's the excitement level they have. In fact, I'll tell you this. Um, I had, uh, I've been working with um, Atlas Orthogonal a lot, right? And they have an elective on campus and they're doing great. And they're, they're keeping up momentum now for a while. We had to struggle with momentum. No, but really it was just exposure. They didn't have enough exposure. They didn't know who the late great Dr. Roy Sweat was. You know, they didn't have those things like I had. I was like, oh, he's an icon. I absolutely want to learn his tech, you know, those kind of things, right? Um, so I worked with uh I worked with Dr. Angela Colavita and Dr. Uh, Dennis Fiorini. And some of my feedback, I gave some of the same feedback to uh Dr. Fiorini for his for his talk. And God bless him. He came in and he crushed. He spoke exactly how he talked about. He talked about really cool things. He showed cases, literally videos of cases of them taking care of really cool patients. And the students were so excited after it was over with. It doesn't take a ton. And I can tell you, Dr. Fiorina probably say it's old dog, new tricks. And he did a great job of it. He he didn't take much to adapt. I gave him a list of things. And as long as you kind of go by the blueprint that we'll give you, I'm telling you, we understand students pretty well. I know people see students at seminars and they think, they get them. I understand because I hang out in the same seminars a lot of times with those students. That's a different side of a student than the daily student that we see. The daily student who is stressed out, burned out, and all of those kind of things. When you're at a seminar, you're on cloud nine. Those kids are just excited, and it seems like everything you say is pure gold. Mm-hmm. That's not how the daily student feels. The daily student, that same student, will come back here and be overwhelmed and will dump most of the stuff that you told them because they're back into the juggle of life. But if you mm. come in and bring those things while you come onto campus, it'll refresh them and keep them <clears throat> focused on what, what they want to do, that kind of stuff. So, And there's a huge evolution that happens in a short amount of time. I mean, you have 
if you're if you're interfacing with students, it's everything from they don't know spinal anatomy to they were a complex upper cervical patient, right? Like it's it's everything in between too. Great point. Yeah. And so there's there's definitely an evolution that we all went through to get to our our just entry into upper cervical practice, let alone what happens after the fact. And so I've always just encouraged, you know, docs and, and students too, just just get connected. Just make friends in the upper cervical field. Oh, for sure. You know, sure. just feel just feel a sense of familiarity and comfort with with talking with docs like Dr. Browning and myself and others that, you know, Absolutely. you feel you feel resonate with your chiropractic values and and your style and the things you're interested in. And at different times, you have different mentors for different things. You know, and I've I've kind of learned that yeah, I go to certain people for th- certain questions and other people for other questions. Absolutely. And all that stuff is just building. Uh, what Dr. Arno Bernier, who was an early Sherman grad in oh, the Reggie Gold Arno. guy, yeah, Arno. Yeah. Yeah, he would always Sherman supporter. Yep. When he would come on campus, he would always say, "Build for yourself a parallel curriculum. You've got to put these. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to put this at uh, this separate upper cervical. Let's just in that context." And he would say, "Chiropractic curriculum together. Yeah, you know, find right, your mentors, right. find your instructors, find the resources, and start to structure your own little. You know, your own little upper cervical curriculum." Cause that just kind of gets, gets the ball roll. And then you get into practice, you start working with real people. Um, and even mm-hmm. in clinic, if you've got options to do that, it, it, it just opens the door for more questions. And so if you've got connections with diplomates, with practicing docs that have been in the field for a yep. long time, I mean, it's invaluable. And then wherever you end up, get under good upper cervical care yourself. You know, I know for me, that was a big, that was a big determining factor. You know, I kind of came to upper cervical intellectually, but had the experience as a patient. And I tell patients this all the time that I got better results with fewer adjustments less often, you know, and that's crazy. And it's crazy. Right. And it's like, and and, and again, I'll I'll tell you too, you you need to follow people who have that mindset. I was very blessed. Once I started upper cervical work, I did, I I felt because Dr. Conchella was training with KCCS. That's who I went and trained with because that was my first adjustment. Right. And that, that is their big push only when absolutely necessary. And they were the first ones to introduce me to advanced research. They're like, hey, let's look at the latest research of biomechanics. And let's talk about how the NTS, the you know, nucleus tractus solitarius connects to all of this and the blood supply. All of those things, Dr. K and Dr. Anderson, my Pat and uh, Dalliers, all got me excited about those concepts. And that's what I built on in the future. It was from that foundational concept. And I I can't, that's my filter. I can't look back now. It's gotta be that kind of world. And it is, it's less is more. And the research all says it. And thank God people are starting to slowly wake up to that at less is absolutely more, but it's less done. Right. Is the yeah. first part of that. Exactly. Exactly. So there's, there's so many interesting things to explore in upper cervical chiropractic. I mean, I, I think, and, and I had some questions on Instagram from students. Um, we could run through a couple of them, but there's some other things I'd like to touch on. Uh, but one of the one of the questions that I got, and this is something that field docs would they would have a quick answer to, and I know what a lot of them would say, mm-hmm. but I think what it does is it's dis- their answer is dismissive. And oh. one of the questions that I got was, what other skills you know should upper cervical students and docs be uh, be building? And and in parentheses they say mm-hmm. functional medicine, neurology, nutrition, soft tissue approach. What what other things should we be thinking Great about to question. build out our and, and here's what I would have got, you know, for most of my mentors. Well, you don't need to do any of that. You just need to get better <laughs> at upper cervical. You know, you, if you get your patients that's holding right. that, that's a non-issue. 
right? That's not what we do. <laughs> and so it's just to dismiss. Um, so yeah, sure. I'll answer I'll answer it this way, and then I'd be curious what you say. Yeah, there's sure. there there's definitely a period of time that it behooves you to focus. Right? Like when I I started my practice, I didn't associate. I was you know new upper cervical doc, and I said I got to spend. You know, all my friends that did associates, it took them probably two years to get good at upper cervical, you know, with proper mentorship. It's probably going to take me five by myself. I said, you know what, let me get this first three to five years and be very focused, get good at my upper cervical technique so that then I can understand what's me and what's the need for something adjunct. Right. And so that would be, that would be my, my perspective. Some people take to something like Blair quicker than others. You know, it's a, it's a dynamic hands-on type of adjust, adjustment it takes practice, but there are a lot of times early on where I may have been prone to do something that I didn't need to do because I just wasn't that good, you know? And so you've got to get good first and figure out what it takes to get there. Uh, but then, point. but then I think there are times where it, it makes good sense to broaden your perspective and look at things from a different, a different point of view. Um, and then it opens up it opens up the rabbit hole of, you know, how much and when and yep. how, how far, uh, but what would you say to That's a question true. like that as you're, That's as you're developing your skills, right. what other things? Yep. So I think, I think the way you said the rabbit hole thing, I think that let's, I'll just start with that. That's the fear. I think that's everyone's fear. And the problem is, is that we have to let adults be adults. Like mm. we have to let people just make their decisions of that rabbit hole. We, we tend to treat adults like children and say, well, I'm only going to give you this much information because if I give you this much information, then you may go down instead of giving perspective of that information, it's the other right. side of it. I think part of it is your patient focus. So yeah. let's just give an example for the ICPA, right? Their pediatric space, right? And the mother, they, they care about, you know, the mom and the family and the kids and those kind of things. They don't stop. It's just, I'm going to learn how to adjust all the little kids and the moms. They go and they meet with midwives, right? Birthing centers. Um, they go do uh, neurology stuff like with kids, you know, they look in the functional side of it. They learn a little bit of it all. And yeah, maybe some of them add more of that stuff into their practice, but in reality, they just need to know what to look for, who they need to support that system. Mm-hmm. In my world, a complex care, <laughs> that's my patient base is complex care. That's kind of what I've focused my, my niche on. I uh, have a physiatrist I train with. That sounds crazy, but I train with them to understand more about the pain process of the body. I want to understand how it's our autonomic nervous system that does a lot of those things and how it's our central nervous system that ends up coming in later on when our autonomic can't do its job either. So it's pain is not just pain. I want to understand those things. And that's also how I got into the pathology stuff it comes from a background ACCS with thermography, which I teach here at Sherman and I'm very adamant about and I adore and I love that's what leads me into that. And then I have, I have a researcher that I work with at uh, Converse college who actually, he is a uh, psychologist and he does animal studies and all kinds of stuff, but I learned from him good ideas for research and good concepts. And I mean, he's a study professor who's done that for years. Um, and then I have, you know, Dr. Rosa's world of upright MRI. And then you have people like Dr. Harshfield, who's an interventional radiologist that I would sit at his feet all day long if I could and learn all the nuances of that. And then you have us. So I honestly, cone beam CT. Now, granted, we have some great uh, DAC bars that come in. And we've also had like Dr. Richardson and then had, um, the great um, um, dental radiologist who came in and she spoke about all the stuff with cone beam CT. But then I sit at, you know, with Tyler Evans and we, we jam on about stuff like this with cone beam CT because that's what Sherman has. And, and and I've been running that process that Theodosis is coming on as radiology chair now to help me out with that. 
Like there are so many nuances of things that I think that our patients deserve. They deserve it. In fact, the one thing that I think if I were to define some of what I, I students as a childhood in chiropractic, meaning my growing up in chiropractic, which is as um, a chiropractic student that I would probably most frustrated with is I feel like the thing that gets told a lot, and I'm a Sherman student, so Sherman can be this way at times too, not as bad, but it can be this way where we say, all you need to know is this, you know, how to analyze and adjust right, the vertebral subluxation, right? Just say that's all you, the problem is, is that when patients come to us with all these things going on, I just go, this is all I do. I'm not gonna worry about those things refer you to the right person or explain things to you or have an idea. And so now I'm failing them for their health. And I'm making that decision because I made the decision not to get further than this. Mm. So I'm going to be like, la, 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 this is all I do. And now they're left wandering because we all know this as chiropractors. They come to us because they feel they trust us. We spend time with them. And so they've gone to their MDs. They've gone to everybody else. We're the doctors of last resort, right? That's our motto. So they're all coming to us and they're asking for us to guide them, right? I'm not doing all things. I'm not, I'm not doing the things that a physiatrist does. I'm not doing anything outside of just the adjustment. Okay. But I'm analyzing that process and saying, okay, I think we need management. This is how this is going to look for you. And at this point, or before even co-manage, I'm going to say, Okay, here's the cascade of events that are going to happen after these adjustments. So we start with your first adjustment based on what you have. Here's what you may expect to happen in the next few months. And these are going to be normal things that are going to happen. Don't freak out. I want you to communicate them to me, but I don't want you to talk about them. And here are time frames we're going to be looking at. I'm going to be checking in three days, two weeks, four to six weeks. I have all these things that I tell them and they are so much more calm about the process and understand there's an ebb and flow with things that happen. That came from my extracurricular like stuff. It didn't come from my chiropractic education and my focus in upper cervical. It came from all the stuff I from that product, which is really what the diplomate did for me. I'll be honest. It sparked things that I already thought that, that KCCS and those other groups had started, but it blossomed it out and it pushed those areas. And I didn't feel like I was sitting by learning other information. I actually feel more confident in what I do now than ever, in fact. But it also gave me that kind of perspective where it said, where I say, oh, this is probably what's going on with your system and you just haven't had the correct diagnosis. That's okay. We don't need to even have a name on it, but this is what you probably can expect. Yeah. And this is what we're going to look for. And then they have proper expectation and they don't, they are not another patient who leaves and says, I tried, it didn't work for me mm-hmm. because we typically oversell it. We say it fixes it all. Because we know it can do so much, right? But we oversell it. And so they think, well, I didn't fix it all. But here, when I come to a patient and say, this is where I can help you. And nothing else do this. But this is where I can come help you. And then this is what we're going to make for. We're going to figure out what to do. You know, like Dr. Rosa says, the quarterback of the team, right? I'm, I'm the one that's to say, I understand what's going on with you. And then after we get you under care, we're going to figure out what else you need. That kind yeah. of stuff, right? Yeah. And that gives the patient, first of all, they have confidence in you. And secondly, they feel like they understand its place and they're going to give it a chance, right? So anyways, those are all my perspectives. Uh, that's not a short no. answer. I give you a fire hose. No, that's a perfect answer because it's the truth. And and again, if it's about, you know, we, we talked earlier about how upper cervical is not about the doctor. I mean, there are people that just want to be a hero, you know, and that they want their one thing yep. to, to be the yep. thing and they want to save people. I've heard people say this, right? We're oh, saving yeah, lives. And we want to go out and save all these people from drugs and surgery. And, and, you know, but really let's just, let's be honest. If shit hit the fan and it was me, 
I don't know that I want to wait two years to retrace <laughs> myself back to health. Right. It's like, I want someone that's going to be a guide, like you said, and, that's a good point. and to be, and to be there to help me live my life, you know? <laughs> and that doesn't mean that no, I need a chiropractor to sell me a thousand dollars worth of supplements, you know, or to stick me full of needles, you know, or to do whatever. Like but I think there's a certain level of humility that says, here's where I can help, you know, and here's, here's all the other factors we're going to consider. And here's the conversations that we might need to have and some of the other people that might need to be involved, but I'm on your team, you know, and I'm helping you through that's this. That's exactly what it is. You're on a team. Like, and that's I, again, what we teach our students and you are part of a team of people. And here's, um, here's the honest to God rowdy, these complex cases, again, the ones that the percentages are growing and growing and growing for these huge complexities are walking to office because we are not adjusting the spines of BJ's time. Yeah. And in fact, if that's, this is, again, I'm stealing from Dr. Rosa, but if that's our roadmap, the things that we did that, that BJ did back in the day, we're now following the wrong roadmap because this, the patient's different. It's very different, right? We, they eat different foods, right? Which is all fast food <laughs> junk. They sit all day. The tissues are in. just different. Yeah. Yeah. The distress, right? And you said, right. And we're not dealing with collagen matrices like we used to. So everybody has hypermobility, you know, all the kind of things, right? So if that's what we're dealing with, then it is, it is so disrespectful to a patient to say, this is all you will need. Now, here's what I will say. This cannot be replaced. Mm. Nothing can give you what we can give you, right? But there are other things they're absolutely going to need in their care and their life and their health. But because chiropractors, and I hate to say this because I probably struggle with this and some are so insecure as a profession mm. because we can't stand on our own two feet and say we love what we do. We have to compare ourselves to the other professions, right? But because we're insecure, we want to say it does it all. It'll fix it all. And yada, because that's what you hear, right? If, if somebody gets diagnosed with something, the first thing you hear are the under chiropractic care. And I appreciate that. I do. And even your heroes, I appreciate the thought process. I don't appreciate how that looks in execution, but I appreciate the thought process. The problem with that though, is you're automatically assuming that that is going to fix it all. And people will go, oh no, no, I was just, you know, so that they're adapt. No, you weren't. You were thinking that once they got that adjustment, that all just miraculously goes away. That's not how things work with the human system and body, and especially this day and age, these human beings that we are seeing in front of us, they are, they have multiple things that are going on. And part of it is ownership ownership of their own bodies. They don't have ownership of their own bodies. And we can't do that for them, even if with an adjustment, they are going to have to take ownership of their own body. And yeah. I, they, those are like soapboxes I get on all the time. No. And by the way, on the provider side of things, if you're not a narcissist, this is heavy, right? Like <laughs> you, this is the things that you hear, right? People tell you like, oh yeah, just clear them out. And then the miracles start happening and you're in your practice by yourself going, okay, I'm waiting on this miracle for this person. You know, this is a heavy Thank burden you. to be carrying the needs of all yeah. these people and to, and to accept the full responsibility of their health. That's not the That's chiropractic right. objective, right? We're not, mm -mm. health is not our responsibility, frankly. Like if you no. read into any chiropractic no, I philosophy. Agree. I totally agree. Right. So, so it's, it's, this, it's this interesting we thing. Are, that, we, are wanting, we are wanting the patient to adapt. That's right. Yeah. And it's this interesting thing that I ran into and I started talking to other docs about it and figured out that Oh, this is, this is a real thing. You know, we talk about folks burning out. We talk about all these different things. It's like, it's, it's, it's a heavy, it could be a very heavy practice setting when you're working with complex cases, when you're coming in and people's lives are destroyed, right? They're guys that are 40 years old on disability because their Meniere's is so bad. They can't hold a job. They can't support their family, you know, and then you're going to, you're going to act like you, you're going to shoulder that burden 
of, yeah, you know, exactly. and you're going to be the one that has to take that on and, and correct that for them. That's too much. Right. And, it, and I, I talked to Dr. Bulow about and this. And if you've been told, if you've been told, yeah, well, sorry, I was saying, if you've been told by other people that that's all they do and everybody gets better, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. That is a fault to when, when I graduated, I don't know about when you, when I graduated, we called it pie in the sky and everybody <laughs> went to go try to grab it. Right. When you graduate, that's what you wanted. And then you realize, Oh, it's unattainable. You'll never get there. And then you would fall into earth and you thought I am a failure in practice. I, I already prepped my students to, to, to get that speak out of their head because you were given you're given insurmountable odds. Like those things do not happen like that. In fact, this goes back to BJ's times of uh, the cicatrix and penumbra effect, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the things that take time and that you're a daily process, that's normal healing and penumbra, which was always the blood supply thing, right? You adjust the person, whatever they came with, with it's all gone rid of miracle cases. Those things happen. Absolutely. They do, yeah. but your daily is going to be the cicatrix effect. It's going to be the slow healing process and that you should expect, yeah. but that's not what you're told. Right. So no, no. Sorry, continue. Get, no, uh, no, a hundred percent. And compassion fatigue is kind of the thing I'm hinting at, which is, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of my friends and colleagues go through it too, where they'll, they'll kind of, you'll see the practice ebb and flow because their energy ebbs and flows with just how heavy it can be sometimes when you get a lot of complex cases. And, you know, I tell everybody, I'm like, I'm down for a miracle and they happen, you know, but here's the, here's the more likely scenario, like, like talking about expectations. I'm like, I hope you are. I I work up everybody. Like it's going to be a miracle, right? And that first adjustment, (laughs) I've got that in my heart, but at the same time, you know, we're down here on earth where we assume, you know, where we expect that things, you know, sometimes don't go according to plan. And by the way, like people get this, if, if they sit across from you and go like, you know, oh, I've yes. had chronic, I've had chronic daily migraines since I was a teenager. I'm 58 years old. Yeah. You're going to like, they don't expect you to fix it with one adjustment. Nope. Right. Oh. And so nope. if you start talking in that way, it's going to, they're going to, it's going to raise red flags. They're going like, wait a minute, this kind of doesn't pass the sniff test here. So I think that, you know, the more, the more empathetic and the more like relatable and just, again, making it about the person and connecting with them on a level that, you know, sets expectations properly and then do a great work with your upper cervical care. They're still going to get better results faster than they can anywhere else. Yeah, they are. And, Amen. You know, I agree. and I always tell folks like some of the stuff we're talking about, whether it has to do with your, your jaw, or your airway or your vestibular system or whatever, this is just troubleshooting if, and when we need to go down that road. These are things I'm thinking about for yeah. you, but at the Absolutely. same time, see good. I love that. We got a great set of, you know, we got a great set of data here to work with. We've found some stuff that we can help with and here's how it's going to play out. You know, like you said, and we'll troubleshoot as we go. Okay. I'm on your team. I got you. You know, we're going to work this out together. Love it. And with those people, they're appreciative. You can see their demeanor change and you can see them melt because you didn't say like, okay, if this doesn't work, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I either have to, you know, either has to be a miracle or it doesn't work. Right. That's, that's heavy for everybody. (laughs) Isn't it great? You see, that is such the talk for so many. It's so funny. Yes, you're totally right. I love that. So, so just hoping that, at, you know, for students, you know, and younger docs too, you know, I hope that diffuses a little bit of the pressure oh, to please. be, yeah. to be the one, you know, in every circumstance yes. for people, uh, but then to start building your skills, right. Building your confidence and, and working on your pattern analysis and working on your, your x-ray analysis and your imaging assessments. And, and, and this is why those details matter not because you need to be the master technician that's important but all this stuff is it's building the type of person that cares for people right mm-hmm. and and when you're dealing with complex cases 
you need to be the type of person that can care for people. And then those details matter a whole lot. And so I've kind of, in, in your perspective and your chiropractic values may change over time. I've kind of thought this oh, more, sure. more sure. lately, like I'm not really that interest personally. I'm not that interested in a lifetime wellness practice type of thing. You know, I'm, I'm I, obviously I, I see the benefit in getting checked throughout your life and, and all that kind of stuff, but I want to help people get to the next level. Right. I don't want to have an office full of the same people getting adjusted every other week forever, get checked every other week forever. I want I want to have an open door for new people to come in and get some help, too. And so all these things change. Right. But you no, hear this I, stuff. I love that. So, yeah, well, I say for me that mine too. like I, I'm actually more blasphemous. Uh, I don't want to see family. I don't want to. Get to well, complex kids is fine, but you really have to follow the complex care for me. And a lot of times that ends up being a higher level of geriatric patients too, which I mm -hmm. love geriatric patients. You don't hear many people say that, but I, I love them. Um, and so for me, I, I call it a boutique style, but that's exactly what I want. And I know right now that's all I want to deal with. Mm -hmm. There are people who want, again, family style practices or pediatric practices and all those kind of things. And I feel, I feel like that is the more, more humanitarian level that people think that you're supposed to do. But I'm comfortable enough to say that is just not for Jamie. And I am really good with this one patient base. I can handle the drama of it all because it can be very dramatic at times mm -hmm. and extreme. That's my personality. And I fit well. So I think that's another thing students have to figure out. There'll be so much pressure. And even for our students, there's so much pressure. The one style. There's always the one style that's sold. High volume family style. That's typically the style that's always sold. And yep. there's so many nuances throughout that care. I mean, I, again, I've been training with Dr. Rosa for five years. I go, I fly up to New York. I spend weeks with him at a time. And I watch that man run ragged, but he is a boutique style. And he has a very specific kind of clientele. And he does not uh, apologize for it. And he's mm -hmm. the best of the best of that. Because that's the kind that matches his personality and his his nerdy scientists, right? I, Hey, I, I watch people in pediatric practices and God help them. I mean, like they are lovely people and they work their tails off. That is not for Jamie. I look at that and go, <laughs> I would have given up on that child in two seconds because I have three kids that it's, it's a struggle to be a mom as it is. So yeah, anyways, yeah. more other kids is just too much for me. So anyways, that I tell students all the time, whatever you, it matches you, it's got, you got to love what you do. You can't just yeah. say, I'm going to go do this supposed to do this. You got to love what you do. If athletes are what you love, go do athletes. So it doesn't matter. Everybody, everybody needs the care. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? So, yeah. And we all have strengths to, to meet the needs of certain, you know, people in our communities. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, I've gone through all that. I was like, oh, I want to work with athletes. Then I worked with some athletes and figured out, well, that's not what you think it's going to be. Right. And that's then exactly oh, I want right. to, I want to see families. And then you start seeing a, some families and you're like, man, this doesn't really scratch my itch either. You know, and, and you kind of like you meander through this stuff and getting into those yeah. settings and seeing, you know, job shadowing and internship opportunities and taking associate yes, trips and yes, peaks and idea. all that. Yes. That's where that's where you start to kind of test the waters a little bit, because I've done all the stuff I, I'm supposed to want to do. And, you know, lately I'm just arriving at, you know, where I find, you know, my my strengths lie and where my interests mm -hmm. lie and what keeps you curious and, and excited about chiropractic. And, you know, the yeah, thing is, absolutely. like, everybody gets an upper cervical. They're like, oh, I, I, you know, I want to I want to help tough cases. Right. That's what every student says. Well, don't build your practice like a lifetime wellness practice and then say, well, I want more <laughs> exactly. tough cases because you're not yeah. seeing those people in three minutes or two minutes or 90 that's seconds. True. It's so true. See, that's the other side of it, too. And that's the thing. Again, the high volume it's number game. Right. And I get that. Totally get that because you got to pay bills and pay the overhead and make money. But the other side of it is that money 
will be built into your time frame. If you're seeing more complex patients, you're going to build that money into that, that time as well. And you're going to need more than three minutes. Absolutely. God, thank you for saying that. It is so true. You're going to need more time. If you've got dysautonomia patients, it's going to take them three minutes to get on the table. Yes. You know, and, and that's then, after, you that's know, after you've already done yesterday's symptomatology. Like I have to walk them through their mind because dysautonomia patients also too struggle with depression and anxiety. So you have to work through the, thank God I had background in counseling. I have to work through some of those things with them, not be their therapist, but talk them off the ledge of this is actually, let's talk about where you are. You're doing so much better. Let's kind of stay focused here. And then we're going to get to that next level. We got to get you holding for this long and then you'll get to that next level. You know, those are the kind of things you're right. It takes a lot of time. And, and they have rightly so a lot of questions and a lot of concerns and a lot of there's, you know, it doesn't always fit into the, the scripted patient education, you know, that is about how to get them to keep coming back for more visits or how to like get them to refer their coworkers. Like these, this is a different population, right? So it, the, the languaging and the conversations are totally different. So again, not right or wrong or just different. Yeah. Right. And and this is what's so cool to me about chiropractic in general, but then upper cervical, you know, in our little niche is there's a lot of different directions to go as a provider. There's a lot of different ways that you can express your chiropractic values, that you can meet the needs of folks in your community, that you can have a career that's mm-hmm. fulfilling and you live a good life and you're excited about mm-hmm. your work mm-hmm. and Absolutely. you are connected with a network of other providers, you know, both in and outside mm-hmm. of your profession to help build you up and to meet the needs of your people. And I think, I think upper cervical gives you way more opportunity to do all that. And I don't know. I don't know what the Gonstead people are talking about. I'm not around that. But <laughs> I think that in our in our world, especially they're in talking this about era, Gonstead. Yeah, they're That's talking they talk about, about. I'm around those people all the time. It's just yeah, Gonstead. Just That's it. wedges. Yeah. That's it. That's all it is. Gonstead, Gonstead, Gonstead. That's all it is. I love it. Yep. Um, and uh, God bless them. And, and so again, for for us coming into the the upper cervical field as at sort of in the air that we are. Right. When I came into it, it was there was a lot of buzz around the ICPA's diplomate, you know, and this being sort of the first few classes getting on our belt and just the mm-hmm. opportunities there and the conversations going on on that level. I mean, I just came into upper cervical at a different time, you know, than someone that graduated 30 years ago. So that's what gets me excited, yeah. you know, and that's where I see opportunity. Uh, and, and again, just to kind of bring it full circle and start to wrap up. It's not that the groundwork that's been laid by you know, our predecessors in upper cervical is not appreciated or is not sure. honored. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But I think that we all have opportunities in, you know, to be stewards of our profession at the time that we're in it and to take the work that they've done and to, and to continue with it, you know, to, to carry the torch and to pass it on and to, to build it out sure. and develop it. And so, and, and you have to flirt with, you have to flirt with the boundaries, you know, as you're, as you're growing and evolving. Right. And that's all part of it. Uh, but I always tell students like, you know, when docs are talking to you or people are talking to you, it's got to pass the sniff test, right? Like if it smells like a bunch of bullshit, then, you know, <laughs> then, you know, it's true. It's true. get a second set of eyes on that information. Right. And, and, and if things rub you the wrong way, then think about why, you know, like think about why those things yeah. wrestle you. Maybe there's something, sure. you know, maybe there's something in your own development that you can work on that'll help, you know, help in those areas, but um, have the conversations and, and, and don't feel like you're alone and that you have to choose. You know, a lot of the guests we've had on the podcast, we talk a lot about how their their practice life has meandered, even after school. That's just yeah. that's just the oh, basis. Oh God, yes, for sure. Like you don't for have sure. to have it all figured out. Um, and this is where no. these conversations, I think, provide a lot of value and context. That you know, us out in the field, we don't have it all figured out either. We're we're carrying on these conversations offline and online and everywhere too. Uh, yeah, so yeah. just join in. You know, if you're a student, get in on the conversation. I love the fresh perspective and the curiosity and the 
the passion that students bring. It's like sometimes hanging around a bunch of frumpy old docs, it just gets to be, it just kind of gets boring. It's like, you know, we need some energy. We need to, we need to spice this yeah, up. No, so I, I love oh that. Oh gosh. Students. So students, students will give you energy. That's for sure. Yeah. I, so talking about what you were saying, I ended up with it. I kind of coined myself as an old school progressive, which is an oxymoron. Um, so the reason being is I, I, I love the old school giants and in my world, what the, the most influence I've had are people like Dr. Kale, right, who came from Dr. Sherman, obviously here, right, and then um, Dr. Sweat's at work now that I'm training in, too. When you look at all of them, though, the one thing that if you look at had in common, and, and even Dr. Crowder through Dr. Uh, Rosa, I mean, I'm learning about his work and stuff, too. They they all were ahead of their time. They yeah. all were challenging, and just like BJ did, they were always, always were challenging the notion. In fact, I go back and Dr. Rosa, and you know people, many people know this. He goes back and watches the Crowder videos, and I go back and sit there and watch them with them. It's the coolest moment. And we look at some of the stuff that Crowder did in side posture toggle, and it's the exact same things that we're thinking of when it comes to the dynamics of the patient setup and all kinds of. He was ahead of his time. Dr. Kale, have you ever heard him talk about neurology and stuff mm -hmm. too? And he could draw it all out to the simple cell. He's the control, yeah. Yes, Houston control, right? And if you uh, go and look at Dr. Sweat stuff and, and the and the dynamics and the, the forethought to actually bring engineers to create something that would that would be something that we can as chiropractors be effective in creating that model and how that how that actually works and to save a chiropractor's spine through the years as well and that kind of technique. And then I look at the greats who just passed before. It's like Dr. Bob Brooks. My God, he was, I, I called him the Yoda of chiropractic, who yeah. now the new version of that Yoda, and he's going to hate that I say this, is Jeff Schulten in my mind, because I sit there all the time because he's that big. But one thing that Bob Brooks says, you know, and it's the truth in it all, please hear this. It's that, you know, it's the box of knowledge, right? There's the box of knowledge. Truth is inside and there's holes all in it, all looking in one version, like a, of a whole. And we're all seeing a piece of the truth. It doesn't mean that just because you feel a way or you want to adjust away or all those kind of things that somebody else's way is wrong. There's a truth in there, just like there's a truth in yours. And again, if we kind of come together, we can kind of see those truths and make a bigger picture for ourselves and for the field and for our patients. So that would be my tip of the hat adieu. Uh, awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and the thing is, we have an inside out philosophy, you know, and, and as chiropractors, we always like to point at things outside of our profession that are holding us back, that are limiting us, always. that are, you know, uh, you always. know, uh, influencing how many people we see and all that kind of thing. And that's not our philosophy, right? So if we no, turn that philosophy not, back, back in on you ourselves and say, to find out what you're not inside yep. out. Right. So um, I think it's, this is all great. I appreciate that you're on campus as a, as a beacon for students, because frankly, oh, when right. I was on campus, there just weren't that many, you know, that were grounded <laughs> like that and just had that I level that. of, you know, had that level of, um, where, where did you go to school? I went to life. Uh, okay. Atlanta. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I had some good ones. I took, I took AO with Dr. Sweat. I was able to do that while I was there. I had Dr. That's Charmaine cool. Herman teach me Blair, Dr. Richard. Franz. Oh, Charmaine's great. Yeah, Dr. Oh, Rich Franz, awesome. was, he was a kale red coat. He was our toggle instructor. Awesome. So we definitely had, we definitely had those lights, but yeah. you know, how many couple dozen professors that we had, that's four that I could mention that had, you know, had a real impact. So it's a big deal. I yeah, appreciate that sure. you're doing that. Oh, and sure. Thank uh, you. shout out to Dr. Theo too, there as your wingman. I yeah. know it's, it's hard work. It's not, it's not often work that you're, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes I'm sure feels like thankless work, but those of us that are out here <laughs> looking sure. in and say, okay. we, we appreciate you. We're here to support you as oh, you support you. the students and hope that the thank students you. and young docs find this 
valuable. So any last words of encouragement as we, as we start to wrap up? Um, no, I mean, it's the whole thing builds your oyster. It really is, uh, chiropractic not going anywhere, but to be honest with you, upper cervical needs to grow and progress. And so part of the progression is we don't lose our roots. We don't lose who we are, but you really need to think big picture. How do we get to more people? How do we get to that tipping point? You know, and big part of that push is research. You know, I'm the research chair of the council and, and that's a big thing that we're missing in our field. We need to have more research and more pen to paper and more publications. That's how the needle starts to move. We can see a gazillion patients, but that's not going to change the narrative. It's not going to change the, the culture or not going to give us an authority position. So if you're going into chiropractic school or if you're in chiropractic school and there are things you want to challenge and you things you want to see, you know, does this certain condition get better? And that's typical. Or, you know, what about this function? You know, what about HRV? Whatever it is, whatever, jump in. The research department, I'm sure at your school or anywhere is looking for people who want the, who have the energy, who want to do it. And uh, that's just the, it, that's the area that a lot of people who see the picture that's our, that's our weakness right now is research. We have to put, we all see it in our practices and you'll see it as a student. We have to start doing that kind of work. So be thinking about that as you're going through, going through school and get, getting it out into the profession. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.